Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Driven Chat Podcast. You're listening to the voice of John Markar. That's me, hello, and sat beside me in our convertible lorry radio slash podcast slash TV studio truck parked outside our favourite automotive venue in the world, Caffeine and Machine. I'm also joined by Amy Shaw. Hello, how are you doing? I'm well, are you? Good, I'm well, thank you. It was a very elaborate description of the truck. It was, wasn't it? Maybe a, a bit over-elaborate. <laughs> no, it's painted a good picture. I like it. I'm, I'm glad. I do wonder, for those that haven't seen our social media feeds, what they imagine our truck looks like, because we do talk about it a lot, but we don't often give a lot of behind-the-scenes tours of it and things. Maybe do a drawing and then post it onto social media of what you think the <laughs> truck is. It's like when kids like do the drawing of... draw. Have you ever tried to draw a bicycle from memory? Uh, that I know. Honestly, hardest yeah. thing. Or a horse. <laughs> so, yeah, as, as Amy suggests, <laughs> draw, a fo- draw a picture of what you think our truck looks like, take a photo, tag us on social media, and just write somewhere, I think your truck looks like this. And we'll judge them. And the best one gets a hat. <laughs> like the, the prize. If you need any more encouragement. Yeah. If you want a hat, then draw a picture of our truck. Now, far more interesting than drawing pictures of trucks. Today we are bringing, as we always do, a special guest. And this week's special guest might just make you some money. Now, one thing that I'm going to say to start with is, because this is a proper conversation that involves conversations about investments and things, we have to be very careful about how we say things, the way that we say things. So some answers might be a little fluffy, 
But that's because we have to be very careful with regulations and things. But let me introduce you to the voice of David Spickett, who is the owner of a company called The Car Crowd. Hello. Hi. Great to be here. Hi, uh, hi Amy. Hi, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Really good, thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Now, I could do my best in trying to give an overview of what your company is, but seeing as it's your company, I think you're going to do a slightly better job. So <laughs> I'm going to let you, David, if it's okay, just give us a quick overview of what on earth The Car Crowd is. Uh, yeah, okay, thanks. I mean, a quick quick intro then. So uh, the Car Crowd gives a way for petrolheads everywhere to buy a real equity share in classic cars and then benefit from any future appreciation. So essentially, that means people, like-minded people, can club together to buy the car of their dreams. Uh, the platform deals with all of the regulatory paperwork and the legal side of it. Um, and uh, they get a real, as I say, equity share in, in that classic car. Uh, we also store it, insure it and maintain it. So they're kind of, I guess, free to re reap the benefits of classic car investment without having to have the space or the capital to buy the whole thing. Gotcha. Now, I'm going to address the big elephant in the room, which is the one that kind of cropped up when I first heard about the company. And we had a little chat before we started recording. And that is, and this is going to make a few people go, huh? but I'm going to say it because it needs to be mentioned. You're investing in the car, in a car, yep. but you, as the investor, don't actually have any access to the car. Well, access, yes. Mm -hmm. To be able to drive it, no. Yeah. Um, I mean, we the platform actually caters for people who are in groups of two people, if you like, up to millions of people, potentially. Mm. So the cars that we bring to the platform ourselves, um, we divide those into a 1,000 shares, and those actually aren't able to be driven because they're just uh, appreciation, or, sorry, they're, they're stored uh, to try and maximise appreciation. Yep. So if we were to let people drive them like a timeshare concept, for example, that would obviously have lots of different people in the car, lots of different uh, journeys, destinations, mileage, and that would unfortunately depreciate the car with wear and tear. So because we're you know, looking to give maximum uh, return on investment, we don't let people drive them. However, from an access perspective, we do lots of cars and coffee events. Um, we also um, have a 8,000 square foot storage unit up in Nottinghamshire that we're opening up uh, to the general public. So come and join us for a coffee, look at the cars, you know, sit in the cars and, and, and sort of experience them that way, but just not the sort of open road driving aspect of it. Gotcha. However, if there was a group of people that wanted to say fund a track car uh, and they did want to drive the car, they could come to us and still use the platform in the same way. We'd do the regulatory paperwork but they would then be able to store, maintain, insure, and drive their own car. They would just have a legal, if you like, way of, of, of co-owning that vehicle. Gotcha. So I have no doubt, as I initially did, I'll be honest, there will be people at home going, well, what's the point? I don't get it. Because they're all car people. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of car people, the minute you say, hey, here's the opportunity to own a share of a Spiker, yeah, let's yeah. say, for example, there'll be people going, oh, yeah, that, that sounds great. I'd love to own a share of a Spiker. I've never driven one of those before. Yeah, absolutely. But of course, you. Th this, is, this is a platform where you are ultimately investing in a car as if you would be investing in a company. Exactly right. Not, you haven't got ownership of the company. You can't, unfortunately, turn up on a Monday morning and be director for the day. <laughs> just, because, just because you've got well, six Some shares. companies might be way better if you <laughs> yeah. did do that. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, there isn't, uh, yeah, there is, there is uh, I guess, uh, uh, a natural tendency or desire to want to drive the car, absolutely. Yeah. But what, the way I think about it is, you know, people at the moment invest in companies. Some people invest in Bitcoin, for example, yeah. you know, knowing very little about what that company does, having very little control about what that company does on a day-to-day -day basis. Yet there are people out there that know everything there is to know about fast forts 
or yes. you know classic Ferraris or something. And unless they've got the money to buy that whole car, store and insure it, they can't get access to the appreciation that potentially that car could could realise them. Yeah. So we wanted to find a way of actually making it, unlocking it, if you like, for everybody, mm. and saying you know you don't have to be a millionaire to have your own classic car collection anymore. You, know, mm. you can actually be a modest person and have a few hundred pounds in say four or five different cars, feel like it's your own classic car collection in terms of access to the vehicles and looking at them. And also benefiting from the future appreciation or potential appreciation of the cars as well. Um, and it, it's just, I guess, it's, yeah, it is something that people are more knowledgeable about. Therefore, it's actually a more considered choice for them. You know, if they don't, yeah. unlike a fund as well, we, you know, you get to choose which car you invest in with us. It's, it's, you know, if you like that car and you think it's a great car, invest in that one. Mm. If you don't, then don't. You're not trusting somebody else with your money to buy lots of cars on your behalf. It's actually, sure. you know, individually you get the choice. Uh, and obviously, as I say, because people tend to be very passionate about certain brands or certain types of cars, they're actually going in with an open mind and, and you know more knowledge of that individual investment. So does it work like, um, do you say to people, we have got this car that you can buy shares into, or does somebody come to you and say, I would like to buy shares in this car, go and find me one? Uh, yeah, a combination of the both, really. I mean, at the moment, um, we're trying to offer, as we're growing, obviously, and trying to get more of a reputation. So we're trying to offer uh, cars onto the platform. Um, so we're sourcing vehicles from all around the country and trying to bring those. Um, I just got distracted. We will get distracted a lot distracted of times sitting a here. <laughs> the, the burble exhaust. Um, so yeah, no. So we're trying to bring cars onto the platform that we think you know might have a good spread and that people would be interested in. Um, so we're sourcing those. Um, we've got things like a, a little Renault Five uh, GT Turbo coming on um, really soon. Um, right up to the Spiker that we mentioned, the C8, which is you know much more of a supercar type uh, investable classic. So there's yeah we're trying to bring different things that will appeal to different people. But then we've also been contacted recently by a guy who wanted him and eight friends uh, they want to buy an Audi R8 together. Um, so they've sourced their own car. Audi. They've got a manual R8. Right. They think it's going to go up in value. I agree with them. I think it's a great great idea. Um, and uh, we're going to sort all the paperwork out for them for for you know. Because our platform is scalable and we've done all of the economies of scale type stuff, it'd be cheaper than you individually going to a law firm and getting the contracts all drawn up. You know, you yeah, can just use the platform. To do it. So it's kind of versatile like that, really. If people come to us with cars or if we find them and we think it's a great opportunity, we'll bring it ourselves onto the platform. It's an interesting one because we have previously had conversations both on the podcast and on radio shows with various people about making money from classic cars. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great subject for, like you say, people that have a passion for cars mm. and have a bit of spare cash. Often there is no better market than the market you know. So if yeah. you have got a passion for cars and you've got, let's say, 25, 30,000 pounds to play with, then something like going out and buying a, a manual R8 might seem like a really sensible option because, yeah. of course, you yeah. could put that money into a stocks and shares ISA but it goes into this ether that you know nothing about. It's <laughs> it gone. Does. It's yeah. just, and you just sit there thinking, oh, I hope that works. Yeah. And you can't impress your mates down the pub either with it. Can you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, absolutely. And we, I guess we've always remarked on the, the benefit of being able to invest in classic cars, purchasing cars that are appreciating assets and not having to pay things like capital gains tax, mm -hmm. which is a great thing, whether that will remain the case, yeah. the case for years to come. I don't know because I think at some, at some point somebody's going to have to go. Hang on a minute. Yes, we could make we could make money from this as well. What makes your platform is slightly different because, of course, any of us here, anyone sat here at Caffeine and Machine right now, could go into their bank account, take out every penny they've got, buy a car, and just hope that it goes up in value. Sure. And in that that form of investing, you know, we don't have to jump through hoops of FCO and financial. Yeah. Um, 
whatever. Ombudsmen <laughs> and various other government regulated things that we have to be aware of. Yeah. Because yeah. that is just ultimately we take the money out of the bank, we buy the thing, and then hopefully we make some money from it. Sure. What you're doing is actually fully regulated, regimented, and it, it's a it's a proper proper investment company, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we have to we have to say um, we directly aren't regulated, so we are an appointed representative of a company called Kessing Capital Limited, who are regulated by the FCA directly. Gotcha. Uh, but what that means is we've got a license, if you like, for arranging deals and investments. That's what our appointed representative status means. So we're able to bring things to the platform that we think would be attractive to that audience. And that means they have to pass quite a strict criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can't just bring any car on that we want. Um, and we were really passionate about making sure that we did come with, with you know, sort of a regulatory, ba- um, I can't say regulatory backing, but with a... Um, uh, with, a, I guess, a bit of assurance for the investors that mm. this was a real company, you know, with uh, following all of the relevant regulatory crowdfunding procedures that are out there because we wanted people to feel safer, you know, than just investing something in, in you know, that could just disappear off into the ether and, and they never mm. sort of see any returns. Um, and that took us nearly a year to, to, to obtain. Um, we've got to have the right business plan. We've got to make sure it's fair and it's transparent. Um, it, it, you know, it gives consumer confidence and it utilises the structure around the limited company um, that just people are familiar with and they know, you know, we're not talking about sort of these non-fungible tokens that are out there now and starting mm. to become a bit of a commodity, but a bit confusing. You know, it's, a, it's, it's buying a share in a limited company that owns that vehicle outright. So it's just like buying a sort of high street stock and share really. So it's a, it's a known concept, which is what we wanted to do. But that does mean we have to follow the relevant regulatory procedures in order to be able to do it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's the you know the, the official important bits and pieces out of the way. Yeah, I guess it? so. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a tricky one. I I wonder, and I know Amy, you you had some questions about how this sort of activity might affect the market because again, yeah, the, the classic car market and not necessarily even classic car, but even modern brand new hypercars. You know, there are people that come out and make money in six months of buying a brand new hypercar sure. and not even driving it and making a whole load of cash on it because some people just can't be bothered to wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look up. at the Yaris, Yaris GR now. Exactly. I mean, about £8,000 to jump the waiting list. Yeah. Wow. And you just absolutely. think it's only 30-something grand car in the first place, you know, and they're willing to pay 30 40% on, off, again just to, just to jump the queue. So, yeah. yeah. I suppose that was one of my questions. When you're thinking about what cars you want to buy and you think to yourself, right, I think this is going to be a good investment for, for my shareholders, of people. Sure. Like, obviously, it's to, to be able to have that knowledge, you'd be very, very rich very quickly from from any point. So how, like, what are the, the the things that you think about before you think, okay, I think this is going to be the car, or, you know, what makes what gives you an idea of thinking that's going to be something that's going to go up? Because as we've just yeah, said about, yeah. like, the, the Yaris's, until you're in the trend, you never know it's going to go up. So and by yeah. the time you're in the trend, is that too, is that late, too late to yeah. make the, you know, to have a, a successful, um, yeah, payback of investment? It's a, it's a great question. And it's and it's the, the conversation I think that happens in pubs, like up and down the country with petrolheads, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. what, what's going to be the next big mm-hmm. car? Or, or, and it is very usually heart driven. Yeah. You know, people are passionate about certain brands or certain things. So one of the hardest things for, for, for us when we're looking at what type of cars to buy is to be head driven, you know, is to be more scientific, I guess, with the approach and a bit more logical and take out that, you know, try to take away anyway, that passion and heart bit a little bit. And we, we kind of use a criteria, like I said before, I mean, there's the basics, which I think you'd expect, which is, you know, it has to be kind of a low mileage vehicle, has to have low owners. Um, we have to, we look for low owners, we look for obviously great provenance, so good service history, um, with non-imports, non-write-offs, you know, all the sort of stuff you'd look for basically when you were buying a normal car anyway. And then we also add on, um, you know, some things that kind of make it a bit interesting or quirky. So low edition numbers or so numbered vehicles are always really good from an investment perspective. Um, something like the Clio V6, where it's just, you know, a crazy concept car that, that, that probably should never have almost been produced because they took that family shopping wagon that was that was the Clio <laughs> and stuck a V6 engine in the back. 
Um, you know, or, or for example, the E90 M3, top tip for everybody, E90 M3, the only V8 um, M3 um, yeah. is, is going to look back on that in 10 or 15 years and everyone's going to go, God, that was the only V8 ever put into an M3. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, something that makes it a bit quirky or a bit special is a really good one. Um, and then we look for, you know, general pedigree. So you have, you have the manual rather than the Tiptronic if it's a, a manual box car like a Ferrari or a Porsche. Those sorts of things are quite, you know, tick boxy. Um there's things like 25 years with the America emissions test. So research whether or not the car was actually manufactured for the American market or not. If it wasn't, it can't be exported or imported. So until it's 25 years old and becomes a classic car and therefore it's for the emissions test. And that then opens up the whole of the North America market. So the Clio V6 is another good example of that. Never made for America. I think there's only one in North America at the moment. So as soon as they hit 25 years old, Perfect. I mean, they're already climbing at sort of 21, 22 years old. So, yeah. you know, they're going to go sort of through the roof, I think, uh, in the next couple of years. And we've got one available for investment, which is why we chose that. Um, and then, you know, so it's, it's, so it's, and then the last part of it, I guess, is just this sort of double curve you get. You know, the people who were 17 years old and had posters of mm-hmm. the Escort Cosworths on their wall, it's no surprise that 20 years later, those Escort Cosworths are now getting up to 100K because they don't make them anymore. But those people are still so passionate and love them that they've come into a bit of money in their late 30s and they're buying them up and they're changing hands for, you know, for sort of silly money. Uh, and then that kind of happens a little bit again when, when you hit retirement age and, and you know, you sort of you know, release equity in your house or whatever and you want to have your last midlife crisis or whatever it is <laughs> and get your last one. So, I mean... It, it's not, you know, I think anybody could do it. You know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a, there's no real trick, if you like. It's all sort of common sense and science, you know, sort of scientific, if you like. But it's just having, you know, the knowledge and, and I guess the time and the patience to go through all those different tr- checklists and criteria. Mm-hmm. Make sure the car that comes out at the end of it is the right one. And then obviously you don't have the capital to buy it. You've got to have the money to insure it and store it. And that's why, you know, we're hoping to bring these cars that, that, that are sound, if you like, in terms of, of their opportunity or potential to appreciate but you don't have to have the 30K to buy a Clio. You have to have just 30 pounds to buy one share. Yeah. Uh, and then you can still benefit from, from any future appreciation in it as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a great job. Um, and I love it. You have to kiss a lot of frogs and you see quite a lot of really bad cars and notice how dishonest people can be when they describe their own cars. Um, you know, see through rose tinted glasses. But, um, you know, that's, 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 that's what I loved. I've always loved cars. It's been in my blood since I was about four years old and, used to go down to Lyndon Hill scraping mud off of a Rallycross Metro. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's always been there. And, I, and now it's become my job, if you like, or part of my job to source the cars. It's, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic place to be. Yeah, I'd love to know. I'd love to hear a few stories, if because there must be a few of these big old journeys to go and buy the car that's been oh, advertised in a particular way. Yeah. Because we've all done it. We've all turned up this to a car and gone. Year. Oh. I have, I, I, it looked so good. It sounded so great. And then I even put a deposit down over the phone. I've paid yeah. money for it, went to go and see it. And I was like, this is not as you described. It's like, well, tough. You're not having your deposit back. Oh, no. I was not happy. Oh, that's not fair. This, was, was this a Range Rover? Range Rover, yes. Range Rover Classic. Yes, that was it. Yeah, it was, it from, it was just, let's say photographed from a slight distance, I'm guessing. And then, yeah, like I, I took my boyfriend and he was under, he, literally underneath the car. And within seconds, he was like, no way in hell are we having this. Wow. And yeah, no, it was, as you said, it just, the, it's, I, the, the, there must be so many great stories, as you said, of mm. this is how it's described. Oh yeah. This is what we, we it's got. like with the estate agents, isn't it? Where they just, you know, sort of. <laughs> yeah, fix her up. Yeah, yeah. Great project. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just, yeah, absolutely. Loads. I mean, um, we're getting better. I mean, I think yeah. the big thing now is we do, and actually it's a, a rich, from appreciating classics one, you know, one of the best I think you know dealers for, for, for appreciating classics in the UK he um, we were talking about the Sunny that we've got out, out here this Sunny GTIR 
And um, he he sort of taught me a trick, if you like, about what he wanted to see before he would even consider coming to look at the vehicle. And that's helped me, actually, because that's the sort of thing now that we do with some of the people that we're looking to buy off of. And, uh, you know, it's getting videos of all the seals before you go and the engine bays and hearing it tick over, cold starts, all those sorts of things. And actually, what tends to happen now is if you ask for that stuff and they don't even respond, yes. you already know, OK, you know, it's probably not going to be worth my time to go Perfect. for a trip. And we've got a, um, a bad story and a good story, I guess. The bad story being a, a Porsche GC3 we went to go look at um that was uh, somewhere near durham and um it was you know absolutely beautiful it was a 60 something thousand pounds and i thought that's you know it's a really good price that's for fair, a gt3 yeah. you know it's a 996 and it's 996 yeah absolutely a 996 and it was only like 20 something thousand miles full history it looked, you know, it looked really good and it probably was about 10 grand too cheap and you go there and then it's you know as soon as i got there i saw that the front wing and the bonnet were a completely different color of blue oh, no. and then the rear wing on the back had just you know half fallen off and you're just like how can you not really yeah. so that was a frustrating one whereas a good one we're just about to go and pick up a renault 5 um gt turbo raider edition um and the guy i said can i have a video of it and he's done two cold start videos videos of him driving it done a whole walk around thing put it up on ramps videoed the underneath oh, then starts putting out the documentation and I, I kid you not i think he sent me nearly 270 <gasps> pictures wow. of oh, every wow. single page of the documentation including the brand new poster that you got given when you bought the raider out of the showroom that was a poster that, that they released uh, to commemorate the world rally championship winning 1989 that's awesome uh, so that's proper providence so then you know right i'm going to dartford on thursday and i'm going to pick up a genuine car because yeah. you know, i'm confident in it. i suppose that's a, another question i had when you do you ever look for do you look for for, for cars that are kind of all together already there and you think okay this will just appreciate in value simply for the car it is and the time that it'll take to you know just over time it will go mm-hmm. up or do you end up looking for cars that will need some work doing or restorations doing and you think, okay, well, the investors, if they wanted to, they can they can um, add a vote on what they want to have done to the car to maybe appreciate the value. Mm. Is it, uh, like I would say they're, they're two different things. Do you tend to look for cars that are fully ready or ones that are more, not projects not necessarily that need full restorations, but maybe say you bought the car that had multiple different colours and yeah. thinking, okay, this actually, even though it's going to cost maybe five grand, I don't know how much paint jobs cost, five grand to get everything resprayed and sorted, but it will add on maybe 10 or 15 grand to sure. the car. What kind of would you do in that situation? At, at the moment, um, I think I think it's, it's a journey. You know, we're, we're just starting out. You know, we, we launched uh, officially, if you like, October last year, although we've been going since October 19. You know, the actual sort of first car was on the platform in October uh, 2020. So it's, you know, it's only been a nine-month journey so far, really. Um, and we need to build credibility, I think. And, and to do a restoration type project is absolutely the place we want to get to. You know, I think that would be fantastic. And you know, we've, we've been talking to, uh, to Ant um, uh, Pat Partridge earlier about uh, the potential of doing a, you know, a, a TV based restoration, you know, where we crowdfund yeah, the resto. Cool. And actually, you know, we have somebody on on, on, uh, on telly that, that sort of manages it so that the investors can actually see and feel really part of that journey and that experience because mm-hmm. they own a real share in the car that's being modified or that's being uh, customised or, or being restored. Um, but I think we need to have a, you know, a, I guess a foundation of delivering um, good returns on investments, of, of being credible, you know, of being a trusted brand, if you like. And I think that comes with with bringing cars to the platform that are already sorted. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's an easier decision to go, yeah, okay, I, I'm going to have a, a share of that and, and see how it goes over the next six months to a year. Um, I mean, our ultimate aim is to get to being, you know, a, a crowdfunding platform that allows people to own their own F1 team. Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that. Why not, right? Wicked. You know, we can we can do X million shares. Doesn't matter to us how many shares. And if, yeah. you know, if you could be part owner of an F1 team, we could at some point maybe have the first publicly funded F1 team. 
Um, that's the dream. You know? But that, that's, that the, that's the versatility amazing. of the platform. So, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, absolutely. In, in the future, there's lots of cool ideas and cool things to come. But I think we have to start with the right foundation, build the credibility. It's a good finance business that treats the customers right, that generates the returns. And then we can move into some of the, you know, the sort of quirkier stuff. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I've got loads of questions, but I don't want to like keep asking no, questions. Like you if you, Go if for gonna, it. I feel like I'm just, I could carry on asking questions. Go for it. It's yours. Okay, next question. How long, <laughs> how long do you, like, do you ever think to yourself, okay, I will buy X car and in your mind you think, okay, I'm going to try and keep it for at least five years or 10 years or how do you know at what point upon buying that you could have a return on that investment? Or is it something you just think at some point, some point in the future? For, for example, um, the Lotus Amira, the last uh, you know petrol engine that Lotus are going yeah. to produce, yeah. and probably maybe one of the last ever. Yeah. Obviously, they are high price at the moment. In I don't know how many years it, they may be dipped as people start to get you know them on the market or whatever. And then at some point, I imagine they'll go back up again. I don't know, kind yeah, of yeah, things. Yeah. So I don't know when you'd think about buying one. Or maybe you do buy one now and then you keep hold of it. How, yeah, uh, yeah what, uh, how long do you envision you, yourselves holding on to those cars before they... And you think about letting them kind of, yeah. yeah it go. depends on the, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's going through that criteria again, really, and, and sort of seeing what you're buying the car for. I mean, uh, rather than the Amira, I think I'd probably buy the TVR Griffith that, that, that's <laughs> yeah. going to be coming out, you know, similar yeah. rival, a bit cheaper. Mm. Um, and TVR have had such a checkered hitch history, uh, even more than Lotus, I think, in terms of, it's not the racing pedigree side, but in terms of the just the brute force cars that they've produced. Um, that having a Griffith and just keeping that with delivery mileage, because I'm pretty sure that they probably won't last much longer than that one model, maybe. I mean, mm. I'm sorry to the owners of it. I hope you do believe me. But if it doesn't, yeah, that could be a real special one as opposed to the Amira. Yeah, it's the last petrol one they've done, but Lotus have done a lot of good sports cars. Mm. So, you know, it's one of a lot more. And it's just trying to find that needle in the haystack type type thing. I think if you're looking for a new car, same as like the RS4.4 litre um, 997 that, that Porsche did, you know, it was such yes, a rare car. Mm. And then if you can get a painter sample version of that, which is even rarer, you know, you're looking at four or five hundred thousand pounds for one of those. Um, because it, it is just you know, much more limited numbers. So some some cars almost instantly will go up in value if, if it is a real limited thing. Others, you know, as we've gone through the criteria, like, for example, the Clio V6, it's kind of, yes, it's uh, it's already started on its appreciation curve when we, when we bought ours. I mean, you know, there's more than it was new at 30K almost. But um, the fact that we know it's going to go to America, I think, you know, ours is, I think, 2003 car. So when it gets to 2028, which sounds like a long way off, seven years. Mm. But as soon as you get to about 20 years old, 21 years old, the dealers start to buy them up, ready to, to, to ship to North America. And that's when the prices start to really increase. So I think with that one, you're looking at a three, maybe four years. And actually, you know, the, the, the numbers would have really gone up a lot more. For everything else, you know, if we're looking at more of a teen 
post a car, you know, it's when the people hit 40 years old. So you've got to make sure the car's about 25, 30 years old. And then we look to, to sell it on for, for those sort of poster cars of people's, you know, our generations, you know, yeah. uh, kind of poster cars. So it, it, it really, as you go through the criteria, really, I think you can kind of almost earmark how you think the appreciation curve will work for that vehicle. And that's something that we, we sort of spell out in our in our PDF investor packs to say, look, this is a much longer term thing or at the moment yeah. we're looking at three to five years for everything we're bringing on. Yeah. Do you think you'll get to the point where you consider buying new stuff, like trying to get on that, let's say, Porsche GT3 wave I know that a lot of manufacturers are now being super, super, super careful. Yeah, they yeah, are, Porsche, yeah. If, if Porsche catch wind of you yeah. getting an allocation with the intention of selling it, and then that's it, you're blacklisted. You'll never buy a Porsche never again. Buy a Porsche. Yeah, I've, heard, I've From, heard lots of people. Yeah. yeah. Ferrari do a, a very similar thing. And, and I, I have to say I agree with it because yeah. I think there are a lot of people out there. Um, a very good friend of mine, Phil, went into Porsche many years ago. So this would have been for the 991 iteration of the GT3. Now, Phil is a track day driver. He's the owner of a company that specializes in drifting. He's the epitome of somebody that enjoys driving a car yeah. in the for the purpose that it was designed for. He went into Porsche to try and buy a car and they wouldn't sell him one because they couldn't, the, the allocation just wasn't there. He, he hadn't bought enough previous Porsches yep. and all he wanted to do was buy a GT3 to drive a GT3 on track, on track days. And of course, everybody else that went into the showroom that had bought 16 McCann's the previous year and a KN and yeah, exactly. four nine just, just, just two all around in their Chelsea tracks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're the ones that go and buy them. But anyway, that's, that's by yeah. the by. I, I, I wonder if you'll get to the point where rather than having just the classic stuff, if you'll look at going, right, that's possibly an allocation that GR Yaris is a perfect example. You know, there are dealers. I went I went onto a forecourt a couple of weeks ago. There was a dealer there that was quite happily listing his GR Yaris that he'd bought personally for himself for £41,000. And he'd sell it. And, and it's going to sell. Yeah, it's going to sell. It's going to sell. Do you think you'll dabble in that or do you think that's a bit too kind of short-term high risk? Yeah, I think I think at the moment, it goes back to the point I think from before where it's, you know, it's about building the credibility first. I think for us to, to, to do a... Uh, a new one like that at the moment would, would perhaps be a bit too uh, a bit too short term high risk. Although I, you know the TVR Griffith is one that I am very interested. In. I've done it a couple of times, but I do I, think it's an interesting one. We've never really talked about TVR on the podcast, which no. is an interesting one. And this this I feel like this new chapter of TVR has been going on now for a. About four years. Yeah, yeah I can't trust yeah. it. And I'm like, yeah, well, but, but that's that's the beauty of why, from an investment perspective, they do manage to do it, and you get one of the first ones off. It might even be like mid-production run. It might just yeah. stop. You know, that's why Spiker. We love the Spiker. It's so interesting because they've had, you know, from making the most amount of cars of anybody at the turn of the 1900s, mm. and having the most model numbers, even more than Mercedes Benz and everybody else. Yeah, they they you know they went bust in 1940, and then you know, they haven't they've been resurrected just for a short period where they made the Spiker C8 and came third in Le Mans, owned a Formula One team, you know, did all these amazing things and then went bust. And then they've been resurrected like five times since. Yeah. It's never quite made it to production, but that just keeps the C8 value that has been produced. You know, the values just keep keep climbing because they're still popular, still in the news. They were just about the Phoenix from the flames and they're not, um, which kind of makes the models that have been produced even more valuable. So that's why the CVI, I just think there's something about it that if it does get made, having one of those, and then you know, I can't imagine they're going to start producing sports car after sports car after sports car. No. It might be something that becomes a bit of a needle in a haystack in a few years' time. Do you think it will get made? Because I've got a bit of a tarnished view of TVR because I know one of the board members fairly oh, do you? well. Oh, you might have um, some inside knowledge there. We've no insider trading allowed. But, uh, no, yeah, no. <laughs> no, we'll keep it. We'll keep it legal. I still can't work out if it's actually going to happen, and if it does, if people are actually going to buy it now, because we 
I remember the launch or the announcement of we're we're making the new car and we're taking deposits and yeah. they got loads. They got inundated. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, were throwing whatever it was, five hundred quid, as a as a yes, I'm interested. Put me down. And then they launched the car. I think at the revival, Goodwood revival, a few years ago. They did that lovely miniature Earl's Court mock up, mm-hmm. and they had the car in there. And it was an opportunity for all those initial deposit yeah, yeah. putter-downers putter to go in and go, right, here's the car, this is the one you're going to buy. And about 45% of the people that put their deposit down went, oh, oh, sure. um, can I have my money back, please? Yeah. I don't yeah. want it. I don't like it. And, of course, it's – and there were there were a, a series of errors. They Like the, the, law, the official press release launch photos they did, for whatever reason, they photographed the car in a beautiful – Maybe beautiful, but uh, uh, not the right word, but in an industrial looking mm, mm. workshop and environment, which would have been a really cool photo shoot. But what they decided to do was just superimpose a load of grey backgrounds. Yeah. It just looked rubbish. Yeah. And you could see in the reflection of the windows, there was actually quite a cool setting that would have worked really well for a company that was kind of famous for its industrial feel and raw and raucous feel. And suddenly it's in this weird fake grey box and everyone just kind of went, Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What are you doing? Like, yeah, they've definitely made a few mistakes, I think, yeah. with it. But they are taking customers' money more now as well. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it'll be produced. I yeah. just think that is... Like, the Lotus definitely will be produced, um, and it is going to be a very successful and a very good car. Yeah. But I don't know. I just think there's something... Again, it goes back to the short-term high risk, right? So it's yeah. probably not going to be one for us, but it's something that just... Yeah. There's a bit of an itch there that I just think if they can make that... You know, I grew up with watching Swordfish with Halle Berry and John Travolta <laughs> and, the, and the, um, the Tuscan S with the flip paint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you just think, yeah, they're just nuts cars. And it's Absolutely. just something that lives in your memory, you know. And, Completely. And they just think if they can do... And they've just perpetually started and stopped since then. And if you can, if you can do something, if that brand can come back, yeah. um, I just think it carries so much weight. Um, You're right. Petrolheads. I don't think there is a Petrolhead in the entire country in the uk obviously we have many hundreds of thousands of listeners all over the world but for, for us brits if you're a car fan you want to see tvr succeed because it is mad yeah. it's a mad brand yeah it is and as you say you know the cars are always purple and blue but green at the same time <laughs> yeah i have fond memories of being about i must have been about 12 or 13 and my grandfather's next door neighbor had a TVR Tuscan delivered and it yeah. came on a TVR truck oh. and all the neighbours came out to watch this guy. And it was a spaceship. It, it was, was a spaceship, spaceship rolling yeah. out of a lorry and we're all like, wow. And think- he subsequently crashed it about three oh, weeks later because, yeah, of course, course it was an absolute handful to drive. But it's one of these cars where you you cannot help but go, oh, look, TVR. Yeah, yeah. It's Horse so races. memorable. And especially, yeah. as I think, in, in our, we're all roughly the same age, in our age group as well, they, we all have a story about a TVR or something we remember because yeah. they are so memorable. I think even well before I was into cars, I, I would call them alien cars because they yeah. just the, the way they looked. And yeah. I, I think... My, my first experience with the one <laughs> was quite funny was um, I got taken to my first prom at the age of about 14, 15 years <laughs> old in a TVR. But my dad had to follow because they didn't know if it was going to go. Yeah, yeah, you have to have a pace car. He's support vehicle. Exactly. <laughs> support vehicle. I know. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, but as you said, it is something I think is it, it is looking for those things that are iconic, not necessarily. Well, no, yeah, not necessarily just in terms of the, the important, interesting ones, but also what are the poster cars of yes. people 
today, for example, or for, for people that were maybe five years ago or something, yeah. just the, the, trying to think forward of, of, of trends that you think may happen with as much research as you can possibly yeah. manage. And, that, and that's, a, that's a great point. And that's exactly where I think, again, going back to that point, once we've, once we've proven the concept, I think, and we've got, you know, like a nice audience, a big audience, you know, we're asking the audience all the time to recommend what they think mm. as well, you know, via Instagram and, and via the emails and stuff. You know, we get lots of people saying, can you buy this, can you buy that? And actually, you know, you're absolutely right. Looking at the poster cards of the people that are a few years away or, or things like the series One Note to Leaves that's just starting to, to sort of creep up in values. So you're getting on the train a bit earlier so you can really get them at the bottom of the market, like a Saxo VTS, for example. You yeah. know, at the moment, they're sort of three or four thousand pounds if you can find one. You know, that, that you know, it's another hot hatch aspect that, that we think, you know, will go really well. Because although my hot hatches were the 205 GTI and the Renault 5s and all that sort of stuff that are already close to the late teens into the 20s, something like the Saxo is going to be the generation behind me's one, you know, and it's, mm. it's sort of trying to, to, to sort of, I guess, again, goes back to the heart head thing. It's not the heart that buying that, it's the head that's going to buy those because they yeah. will be the ones that will be the next investment ones. I want to delve into that a little bit because, again, this is a great way to kind of find out car personalities. This is, and this is good <laughs> car pub chat. Right. I, like, I, like to, I like to find. Do you have, what, what is that car for you, if any? I know you mentioned things like, Saxo, but is there a, is there a car that, and it doesn't have to be an attainable one. Like for me, I've got very fond memories of my dad, who was who used to be a Snap-on man. He used to be yeah, the man yeah, that drove tools. around the Snap-on tool van. Yeah, yeah. And occasionally they would give away. If you bought a certain number of tools or a toolbox, you would get like a a, a toy or a, a model. And they partnered with uh, is it Burago that make those like scale model cars? Oh yeah, cars? yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you mean. Yeah, I might yeah. pronounce that completely wrong. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he. I remember Dad coming home one day with two models and saying, "Right, you know, you've got excess of these." And one was an F40, yeah. and one was a 550 Maranello. And okay. There was something about the 550 oh, Maranello really? that just it it set something off in my brain. And it might have been just the case that it sat beside my bed for years, or it sat on a shelf for years, and I just loved the way it looked, and I loved the the shapes and everything about it. And even now, if a 550 Maranello pulls up in the car park now, I will, you will lose me for about 30 seconds because <laughs> it's just, it, it becomes this iconic thing. And that for me is one of my, that's one of my tick list cars. If I can, yeah. if I have the means, I will buy a 550 Maranello for no real reason beyond the fact that a model was brought home one day and I just adored it. Yeah. Do you yeah. have anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the moment for me really is, 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 is rallycross, you know, yeah. uh, I think, and, 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 work, and the RAC rally as well. Um, so all the group B stuff, I mean, mm. um, you know, Lancia Delta Integrales, Metro 6R4s, yeah. you know, oh. RS200, uh, anything that, that, that was just spitting flames through the forests, you know, Audi <laughs> S1s. Yeah. I just remember the noise, you know, just the noise and that feeling. You know, I'm getting yeah. goosebumps now just talking about it. Yeah. Just that, um, that, that, just that thrill as being like a five or six year old up to that was about 11 or 12. My dad taking me to, to Lynn Hill or to, or to Brands Hatch or any of the big rallycross circuits. And you see Martin Shanker against Will Gollop and mm. I was just in it, you know, I was just in it. Um, and uh, we had a little rallycross mini, a little 1275 rallycross mini that I used to work on. By, you know, my first job was the long screwdriver to scrape the, uh, scrape the bud off. And then, you know, later on, <laughs> Um, you know, I was getting seriously involved in, in, in sort of the mechanical side of it as well and helping out with my dad who was doing most of the mechanics on it. So it just became kind of in our blood. Mm. So anything anything in that era definitely uh, is there. And then I guess from a road going perspective, I've always loved Ferraris. Um, I, I was lucky enough, one of our friends um, was a, a race mechanic um, for Williams. Right. Um, for the Formula One team. So we, uh, he was actually, the, I think he was the head of logistics, but he used to be in the pit lane. And the guy's just going back into the probably the early to mid 90s. So it was Patrese and Mansell that were oh, driving wow. the Williams number five and Golden six. Era. 
And um, actually, sorry, he was working for Benetton, sorry, because he was working for Roberto Moreno, who was driving for Benetton at the time. So we were in the Benetton garage, but I uh, love Ferrari, so I had a Ferrari coat on and a Pirelli hat because they were the tyre <laughs> supplier. So when I went into the Benetton garage, even though there was no social media in those days, there were still the TV cameras. So they had to play, put duct tape over my hat and duct tape over my chest. So there's these shots of like, I know, archive footage somewhere in BBC of this like small 10 year old boy stood in a Ferrari jacket with a, with a black duct tape, tape all over, over him, you. Yeah, wrapped up in duct tape. And, and you know, I just say, so yeah, I mean, I've been lucky enough to be in a few really cool I guess, sporting and, and, and motor racing uh, you know events and occasions which has just made it literally be through my blood and yeah. you know right right through um into when I was like 14 or 15 my dad started to buy and sell cars and, and I started to collect uh, data and spreadsheets about what cars were doing well and what oh, really? up and down in value and it's, like these little books you used it's to almost have, like a little black book yeah, yeah we have yeah. a little tick list of um, things that you've seen and and yeah and just to sort of earmarking those and, and going to various auctions and like writing down the prices and those sorts of things it's just just a real geeky sort of thing that's been in my blood but yeah I, I I definitely have to say from a, from a first kind of car perspective, when I was down at South End Seafront and that, with the, with the um, you know, where you get the cruises where you used to, yeah. do, used to put the, uh, used to put the tea trays in the, under the back wheels of the front wheel drive cars because they do donuts and things like that. <laughs> stupid, stupid, silly, irrational behaviour. Don't, don't, don't do yes, that. Yes, we don't, don't, don't do that. Don't condone that sort of behaviour. But when we used to do that and I used to see the Nissan GTIR, the Sunny, or yeah. the Pulsars mainly, but... They used to fly up and down and beat the RS turbos and all sorts. Mm. And that was the car for me that was like, I've got to, I've got to, at some point, you know, I need to scratch that itch. So when I found this one in the garage, although it's not an investment grade vehicle because it's been written off in 1996, so we could never do it as an investment car. Sure. I just, you know, I just fell in love and I was like, you know, it's a, it's a white original Nissan Sunny. I've got, you know, I've got to have that and see what it's like to drive it because I never got the chance when I was 19. And yeah, and that's, so again, you know, to get the goosebumps just driving that over today. It's funny, isn't it? Because there's a lot of people that will look at a car of that age and uh, certainly for the younger people that are younger than us, they might look at it and not really get it. Oh, it looks horrible. It's one extreme <laughs> or the other. They're going to yeah. look at it and go, oh, wow, that's amazing. Or they're going to go, what's that? A, yeah. a prime example of this. So I got invited by the lovely people at the SL shop, which is a, a, a workshop not far from Caffeine and Machine, actually, that specialise in just classic Mercedes SLs. And they were doing a celebration of the R107 so the 1970s to 1980s um, SL shape. I love that one, yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. Because for me, I was born in 87. And, and as a child, that would be a car that you'd see driving around quite a lot on the road. You'd be like, oh, that, that's quite a cool looking yeah. convertible thing. And um, so when Sam and the guys at the SL shop invited me along for this day, I thought, oh, that'd be really good fun. And I sent a photo of it to a couple of friends and just said, oh, this is what I'm driving today. And one of them's a massive petrol head and one of them's not. And the petrol head was like, oh, cool, love an R107. Like, that's awesome. Really yeah. like the, the simplicity of the 1970s and 80s dash. And the other friend said, that's just an old banger. <laughs> <laughs> and you think, what? You know, if I, because those cars are selling for like 40, 45, 50 grand now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you'd gone out and bought a 45, 50 grand car, you'd like to think, you know, I've bought something. Someone, someone would think it's an old banger. Somebody out there is going to look at it and go, that's an old bang. Well, yeah, that's somebody of my wife the other day. When I pulled it out and washed it down, I was really proud of myself because I got some flat white paint gleaming that hadn't moved since 2008. So I was really pleased with my detailing skills, which aren't the best. Of and she comes and goes, what the hell is that? What the hell is that? It's Nissan Sunny. So Nissan Sunny? Not only that, it's nearly a 30-year-old Nissan Sunny. That. But uh, yeah, for me, it's like, it's absolutely, you know, just, just evokes all these memories. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a square boxy looking thing, but it's just got a snarly dash and it's just... You know, it's got the two litre turbocharged uh, engine in that just yeah, it makes all the right noises for me. And it, it's just, it's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's probably 20, 25,000 pounds, even though it's been written off before. You know, it's amazing how much they fetch. It is crazy, um, isn't it? And especially when you think back, there's that era, that, that horrible era where we all look back on. It's only something you can do now in hindsight where you realise just how cheap things were. No, of course. And of course. I, you know, my 
again, the regular podcast listeners will, will know this and they'll start rolling their eyes immediately as soon as I start talking about it. But I am a bit of a BMW M fanatic. Oh, yes. I have no idea, John. <laughs> have, I, have I not mentioned uh, this I before? Not, no, I've not know? heard this one. Oh, well, uh, let me tell you right now. <laughs> now, I, I so mid-90s to mid-noughties, anything with a BMW M badge for me is... Just, I, I want them all. At some point, I want every single M car. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Like that poster. Produced. Yeah, exactly. From the E30. Will you like go into, I, that's what I want. Will you go need. into your garage and just get, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, it'll mm, be the M garage. <laughs> <laughs> the, M, the M garage on the side of my M house. You can see on the Instagram and YouTube M channel now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course... There are things like there are there are car, certain cars that I skipped. I did the I got the E46 M3 and I made some money on it. That was brilliant. I, I do massively regret selling it, but oh, I made yeah. some money on that. Yeah. And then I remember at the time of selling that E36 M3. So we're talking the mid 1990s to late 1990s shape of M3. They were, and it makes me feel sick to say it. They were about three to four thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah. And I even had the money in the bank. And I yeah. thought, maybe I should just buy one of these. But because it, it was kind of that controversial M3, because it was the M3 made by the marketing department as opposed to the motorsport department, there were certain people that said, oh, you know, it's never going to be big money. And of course, of course, they're now selling for 10, minimum 10, oh, yeah. mostly 15, yeah. some over 20. And you think, yeah. bugger. <laughs> <laughs> that was only, that was only really six or seven years ago yeah but that's that's the chat i mean that's that's exactly why we started the business you know, that's yeah. exactly the reason you know almost to because everybody has those conversations but life gets in the way you know I, i've i've been lucky enough to have a few a few cars personal cars that have done okay um but i would love to have had you know 10 yeah. uh, or 15 because i kind of knew which ones they were going to be but you just can't buy more you haven't got the space and the time you've got the money you know and, and it's really difficult but if if you can be down the pub with the mates and be like right well i think an rs turbo an xr2 and a sierra cosworth you know i want a renault 5 i want you know you can pick the 10 cars the audi tt r8 whatever you want and you can pick those and and you know now you can have one or two or more shares in those and spread your risk across all of them and, and you know have your own kind of personal garage and feel like you've got a stake in all these different cars so that you're not just saying, oh, God, you see how much those things are fetching? I could have had yeah. one of them in four years ago. You're actually saying, well, I've got a share in one of them that I bought four years ago that's now I've got part of that appreciation. Mm. So we're hoping to almost help the petrolheads be a bit more savvy with it and actually, you know, hopefully get a bit of return on investment for their passion. You know, that's a big thing, really. I suppose the interesting thing at the moment, I've only just thought about, is that when you started this in October 2019... Yeah, that's when we first the limited company, yeah. At the minute, you're accumulating the cars and the shares, but have you yet sold on anything yet not yet so we, we we fully funded the peugeot 205 gti so that was a twenty-four thousand mile one owner one official owner of the dvla car that we, that we managed to find i mean that that that's absolutely immaculate that was um uh, eighteen thousand sort of funded at and, and sort of recent valuation at just around twenty thousand. so the valuation has already crept up you know sort of ten percent in that within about six months um and then the clio you know it's, it's a it's a pounds, so it's 30 pounds a share we've got about 150 -ish shares left but the um, uh, the valuation of that of that clear. If you look at the value of collecting on collecting cars, the last I think it's nine V6s that have sold phase ones on collecting cars over the last twelve months. The average value is thirty eight grand. Got it. So would then you then put up the sorry I'm jumping the gun a bit here. That's would you okay. then go into if you're going to sell the car? Do you think to yourself, all right, for the last however long on the average cost has been selling it for for this amount? Do you then go to sell a car? Well, will you go to sell a car at auction or privately or like will you find a a seller uh, a, a buyer? buyer sorry, um, and kind of go for that average cost or how do you? I suppose how do you figure out your your valuation? 
yeah, well, the, the valuations are done. So, yeah, it's two parts. Now. The valuations are done uh, depending on the type of car, either via using data from the market or glenmarch.com. So that's the uh, sort of two places where all of the sales are logged via auction houses and private sales. Um, and we, we tend to get quite a lot of good data points for the more, um, I guess, mainstream cars, like your V6s or your, or your Ferraris. Um, and then we, we've also got a, a membership with the Historical Automobile Group Index for the more rare stuff. So the things that are only sold maybe twice a year or something. So it's, uh, you know, and they're often private sales as well. So so Haggy sort of do an index on the valuations of those types of cars, which helps us to value those. So there's a bit of science that goes into the valuations, but we'll also look at, you know, just general trends in the market in terms of things like collecting cars that we've done for the Clio as well. To give an indication but in terms of selling the car we don't decide when to sell the car so we're not a fund you know we don't we don't have any um we don't control the company the company that owns the car outright is controlled fully by the shareholders so as a shareholder it's one share one vote and you get to vote twice a year as to whether you want to keep the car or sell the car and it's the group of shareholders that have clubbed together to buy that car in the first place that therefore decide when to sell that car as well um so it's a democracy you know as long as there's i think more than about 15 percent has to be to make it a, a, a valid vote and then um, it's just a, you know, a democracy in terms of whether it's sold. We will then try and aim to sell the car at the latest valuation. Obviously, that's that's sort of the aim. And we always be conservative with the valuations because the last thing we want to do as an investment business is disappoint and you know, yeah, over-promise and under-deliver. Yeah. So the plan would be usually probably to use businesses like the market, collecting cars, trade classics, etc. There's quite a lot of plethora of, of, of you know, really good auction websites that have come out that have got good publicity that get good return in terms of selling sort of modern classics and appreciating classics. Or if it's a really good car, we also have you know, distribution via dealerships as well that we know uh, and that we've worked with in the past that could just put it up onto the dealership website and obviously try and return the investment that way. And the, the final route of sale is one of the investors likes it so much they want to buy the whole thing. I was going to say, course, there'll be yeah. somebody in there that, that perhaps has got you know, investments in not just car crowd, but other bits and pieces. And if something big comes in, they go, actually, yeah, yeah. I really want that car now. Yeah, exactly. So I guess people build up a relationship. Even, even, if, even if the closest you ever get is one of your cars and coffee days and you go along and have a look, there'll be something that, you know, triggers triggers some sort of emotion in in one of those investors that goes, oh, actually, I've, I've grown to quite like this thing now and I, I it needs to be mine. So, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, people, we've got one of the guys who's dressed in the Peugeot, he's bought his shares in the Peugeot because he's uh, he got married. He got the car he was driven to for his wedding. Oh, wow. Um, and he's, you know, he, he can't afford to buy the whole car back again, but he wants to feel part of it. He's come to the unit a couple of times to see it with his wife and stuff. And it's like, oh, you know, that's, that's a great nice. story. Yeah. And we give him access to that. Whereas we've got other people that have come to the unit to take photographs with some of the cars where they want to put it on their Tinder profile because uh, they're more younger millennials <laughs> and they want to feel like they've got a car collection. And that's yeah. fine too. You know, we don't mind. That's because yeah. they could say, I do own. And I do own. Very, very technically a very small part Yeah, a very that. small part um, of this car. But, but yeah, I mean, so there's, there's, you know, there's, there's sort of horses for courses really. But again, it's just about the access. It's just about feeling closer to something that you really care about and being able to, to, to invest in something you're knowledgeable about. Yeah. You know, that has to kind of be a good thing. Amy, I, I see you've got a list of I know. things. Have you worked through? I'm just seeing if I've more? gone through my my entire list. Um, hang on. Uh, I suppose yeah, a lot of it's been been answered in, in a lot of our chats. Like, for example, I wanted to ask about the the idea of, you, you know, your, yourself, is this purely investment or is it passionate? We've, we've worked out that it's, it's purely passionate. Passion, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I suppose that's, that's the thing about when you, when you do want to in, invest in, we've always talked about in, in many of the podcasts, the idea of when you buy, especially a classic car, I mean, we've always said, to to buy what your heart tells you to buy because things will go wrong it may go up it may go down yeah, and you just yeah. have to do it purely because you like that car and then if it goes up great some you uh, the, the i think especially classic cars generally you kind of stay in the middle you may go up but it, it, it's very up and down up and down so yeah. um the idea of trying to buy with your head i think 
personally, I'd be I'd, like, it's it's fascinating to hear about all the ways that you're you're researching and the the the, the places that you're thinking. Okay, what about this trend? Do we think this is going to happen? Or about trying to find your you know your more rare things and yeah, just the yeah. amount of research you must do, the time to be able to try and find figure this out scientifically, I guess, yeah. more than anything, because it is, as you said, something that's more had to be led with your head rather than your heart. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, that must be where a lot of your time is spent, literally just researching all these things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, since since um, my, my wife's now, we're now a husband and wife team, so my wife's come on board as, as the chief marketing officer for us. And um, since she's come on board, she's freed me up a lot a lot more to be able to, 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 to do a lot more of that. And that's why we're now bringing the next wave of cars on. Um, so the Sierra um, Cosworth that we've we sort of found the uh, the Renault Five um, and then the Ferrari Three Hundred and Sixty and the Spyker. So we've got you know a nice range of kind of from twenty odd pounds up to two hundred and twenty pounds, and um, that that was yes yeah, a long time. You know, as I say, kiss a few frogs and, and a lot of research, <laughs> a lot of um, trawling through adverts, contacting owners' clubs, you know, talking to a lot of people, trying to find. And it's just being nice, you know, just being just being. It's great. Petroheads want to talk to other petrolheads, but I of think course. if you're you know, not not being um, antagonistic and saying, "Well, it's not the right model," you know, or, or you know, just trying to point out flaws. If you're a, if you're a nice person, that's the way I try to approach it: is to try and generate friendships almost with with a lot of these people because it might not be that car, but it might be another car they might have or that they found that they could recommend for us. And as soon as you get into that market, I think of people understanding and knowing that you're, you know, that you've got a, a route and outlet for them to be able to, to to potentially sell a car or move a car on. Um, you get offered some some great stuff, some weird stuff, and and you know, some comes from all sorts of different places. Um, and I'm finding now that it's easier because we've got that scientific approach a bit in the criteria. It's quite easy to tick ones that we don't want, you know, and say, actually, no, that's not right. Uh, and have kind of our shortlist of the ones that we're sort of looking for. Going this, I don't know if this is going to be a difficult question or not now. Going from the scientific view and there must be other people, other companies doing a similar thing to yourself and around the world. As yes. Such. And if you're all following the basic scientific point, would you think they'll get to a point in the the point of, selling the vehicle where you're all think you've all got on the scientific transport similar vehicles to sell at roughly the same time that would that end up saturating the market and therefore devaluing the car well i think um if you're looking globally no uh, because globally we're lucky to have very different cultures really in terms of the cars that we love you know the the sort of the you know, rally road who who do this similar very similar thing the only i think the only other company to us in the world who do similar thing is, is rally road in the u.s uh, but they're very. Don't, tell, don't talk about well, that. They're, they're okay. But if you're British, <laughs> if you're British, you can't buy shares in. in, in you know, that's that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it over here because I was working in America at the time and I wanted to buy a share in a Ferrari they had, five fifty actually, oh. uh, and I couldn't because I wasn't an American citizen. So that's one of the reasons why I thought actually that idea is so cool. I want to see if I can do it in the UK. Um, but so uh, yeah, the UK trends and the UK types of vehicles are very different to what the US like. You know, trucks and Mustangs and V8s and you know NASCAR type yeah, influence vehicles are, are much more, I guess, iconic for those guys over there whereas where the hot hatches and the four badge and that sort of stuff is much more iconic for us so i, I think there's a there's, you know, i don't think there's a risk of, a, of of the global businesses kind of buying the same cars and trying to sell them at the same time um too much i mean and in the uk we're currently as far as we're aware the only business they're doing you know fraction investments in cars um there may be other companies that that, that come on board and do it as well and yes the, yeah, there may be competition but i think it'll only you know They'll only help because these cars will come kind of out of people's garages and sheds where they're stored and no one knows about them into the light where people actually do know and appreciate them. I think there's always going to be a ceiling for every car in terms of where it can get to. And um, because we're trying to buy quite rare and you know quite iconic ones, I think it's no different to what happens at the moment. You know, you get you get somebody who starts selling one at one price and it goes up and up and up and the dealerships kind of already push them up. 
Um, and then everyone gets them out. They had with the E-types a few years ago. Like everyone just got them out of their garages and it's like, well, I've got an E-type, I'll sell mine. And yeah. all of a sudden the price went to a top and then it started to sort of come down again. Mm. So I don't think there's a risk of us because we're not buying thousands of cars. You know, we're talking two, maybe three cars, hopefully a month by the time we get to scale. I don't think there's a risk of a saturating or flooding a market uh, or falsifying a price, if that makes sense. And because we're buying very different cars, you know, we're not buying all the Ferraris or all Lamborghinis. It's very going to be very spread. Um, so I think I think our portfolio, if you like, will kind of hopefully all appreciate together, but they you know they won't dictate a market. Yeah, well, I suppose at least from a business point of view, there's no point you yeah buying things that you don't have faith in yourselves to Absolutely, be able to think no, this is going to work. And we have to yeah, we really want to be diverse. All about diversification as well. You know, we 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 wouldn't want to just buy you know one mark or one type of vehicle. Although if someone offered us you know five McLaren F ones, a million pounds each, we'd take it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> who wouldn't? Really I would find some money to help. With that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd sell terrible things. And <laughs> I'm not sure how much money you get there. <laughs> True, true. Got to know your market. <laughs> so, uh, run. Let's run through some of the cars that you've got before we wrap things up. Yeah. Because uh, there will be people at home thinking, I'm sure, going, right. This sounds like something I want to get involved in. Um. But what have you got? So, um. Yeah. Run us through what you've got and perhaps even some of the the wish list as well. And maybe I was going to ask about the wish list. As yeah. Because well. <laughs> they might. You never know. There, we have a, an awful lot of listeners now. There might be somebody sat at so, home yeah, with a lot of cars yeah. that they're going. Oh, do you know? I could probably get rid of that. E-type or whatever they've got uh, cluttering the garage. Yeah. And um, what have you got in at the moment? And what is it you're hoping to get that uh, maybe one of our listeners might be able to sell you? Um, okay. So, I mean, what we've got, so we funded the Peugeot, as I say, the 205. Um, the Clio V6 um, is, I think, as I say, like 90% funded. So it's about 10% of, of the shares left at that, £30. Um, they're the, they were the first two cars. Um, and then we're adding four cars onto the platform. Um, literally, the, 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 the Ferrari 360 Modena. Um, 22,000 mile, uh, one owner. And again, we talked about spec before. It's yeah. a right-hand drive. It's a manual. Perfect. It's an original UK car. It's Perfect. Rosso red. It's creamer interior. So, you know, it ticks all the boxes. It's got the original battery charger, original toolkit. You know, it has to tick all the boxes for us to bring it to the platform. And this one really did. Um, it's three owners. And I think it's got um, pretty much Ferrari Owners Club. And, and I think there's 14 service stamps pretty much all the way Perfect. through. Double cam belt change, etc. So very well maintained, fastidiously uh, maintained car. Uh, and that will come to the platform for about £77 a share. Mm-hmm. That'll be live in the next week or so. Um, the Spiker C8, that's our kind of, I guess, the hero car, if you like. So one of eight in the world, right-hand drive um, Spiker C8 um, convertibles. And if you don't know much about the Spiker brand, just just Google it or go to the Spiker website and just read the history page because yeah. they have just such a fascinating history from, as I say, building motor cars and aeroplanes. Um, and it, you can just see it coming through into the into the 2000s, um, the C8 that they built in the 2000s. Um, ours was the Le Mans, uh, sorry, ours was the car that was in the Le Mans um, uh, showroom. Um, sat there for four years uh, and then it was uh, was sold on in 2007 so it's 2003 build so it's got the original propeller steering wheel but it was uh, released in 2007 13,000 miles I think from new uh, again you know really well looked after uh, and maintained uh, that'll be live again in the next week um, and then the two that I'm most excited about because they're just in my blood are the Renault 5 GT Turbo Raider Edition right. so the Aaron Oriel as it was called in France but became a Raider over here because I don't think the Brits could pronounce Aaron Oriel <laughs> um, he won the world, I think Rally World Championship in 89 I think and I think that was the that was the, 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 the sort of homologations um, poster car that was released to celebrate the win that he did at the cool. Rally Championship then you know, that was limited to a few hundred units that were sold here in the UK so again quite a rare car one 43,000 miles, um, two owners or two or three owners, but low, low ownership, you know, and again, I mean, the, the, this is the guy who sent me 270 pictures of the history. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's got everything. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're picking that up on Thursday. So that'll be conditioned and then photographed and put onto the platform sometime in early August. 
And then the final one to come is the Sierra, um, three-door Sierra RS Cosworth, which I think is everybody's, or a lot of people's, sorry, poster car. Excellent. I mean, the numbers they're fetching already ridiculous, but we've managed to find one for a really, really good price. It was actually the car that Tiffany Dell drove on Top Gear oh, cool. um, oh, wow. when he was comparing it to the RS 500. Um, UK car, two owners, 43,000 miles, you know, absolutely mint. All original apart from a stainless steel exhaust been changed uh, and it's had a, an eight and a half grand uh, paint job, There's a respray. Right. Which we would obviously love to have original paint, but actually, you know, if it's just the respray, that's the one thing we can. Yeah, and if it's been done well, it's, and it's been done amazingly yeah. well, yeah. So, so that's coming on, and uh, that's going to be on the platform for. Um, we're not exactly sure, but somewhere in the in the sixties, um, which right. is a pretty good number for a three door Sierra Cosworth, and we've we've, we've got some, uh, yeah, we, we did some hard work finding that one, so we're, we're quite pleased with that. Um, and then wish list wise, I think the next one I'd love to get is a Porsche of yep. some sort. I yep. think a nine nine six, probably C four S or Turbo. Um, cool. Or GT3, but um, you know GT3 is pushing the numbers up a little bit. I think the C4S is probably the one I'd have. Turbo bodies, you know, iconic yeah, nice rear end bodies, with the big, yeah. big, big red light across the back. Uh, find a low mileage, you know, sort of somewhere in the region of the 20, 20 to thirty thousand mile. One of those, if we if anyone's got one, they want to sell us, that would be. Uh, please get in touch. <laughs> um, so I think that's probably the next one on the wish list. Um, and then, and then sort of BMW and VW and other two marks that we've not you know encountered and, and, and yeah. done too much and then a Japanese car as well so Mitsubishi Evo uh, probably six or seven yeah again the Mitsubishi Evo is another one that wasn't released in the US until uh, Evo 7 yeah so um, you know finding a five or six that, that hasn't been so far in North America would be would be a good one and that could open up the market we're too late for things like the Skylines which have you know, already I was going to say actually yeah. things like R32 R33 R34s, and R34s yeah. which yeah. are kind of getting into that now can go to the US yeah. as soon as that. I think the R34 you now can import. Yeah, you can now. Yeah, just just recently. But only just. Yeah, only just and that, recently, of course, yeah. made the values the go ones. from fifteen thousand to sky's the limit. Nearly hundred k. Yeah, mean, you know, for a good low mileage one. You know, but people just will not sell them. And of course, the Fast and the Furious connection helps with that as well exactly. from an iconic poster exactly. car perspective. So yeah, I think we're, I think the skylines are probably. I mean, I'd love to have one, but I think you know it's not. That's going to be definitely a heart one rather than a head one. So yeah. probably won't. We'll probably avoid that. But yeah, something like a Mitsubishi Evo or a twin turbo Supra. Um, cool. would be really cool um, and then the VW wise yeah I, I mean I, I'm kind of uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a golf man I've had a few golfs mm -hmm. in my time uh, I think probably the R32 is probably the one I'd quite like yeah, nice. uh, or maybe even just a nice Mark 5 GTI with the original Mark 1 seats with the yep. checkered mm -hmm. seats uh, again quite iconic um, and what was I going to say uh, oh the BMW wise yeah I mean yeah, you're the BMW man happily, what's the best yeah. BMW man I, I, think the, <laughs> I think the E90 with the V8 engines I the think go for. do you know it's funny before we started recording this I went and um, sorting myself out a t-shirt from the uh, the shop here at Caffeine Machine because I, the one I was wearing was a bit wet because we sat up the truck in the pouring rain and uh, the guy in the shop said um, uh, who have you got on today on the podcast and we were talking I said oh it's you know, it's a couple of people coming in to talk about um, making money from classic cars and investments and he said to me he asked that question he said what would you buy to make money yeah. and I just said if you can if you've got the money for me and this is not financial advice ladies and gentlemen yeah. but <laughs> let me make that very clear it's just my opinion on what I would do if I happen to find a spare £15,000 in my back pocket. Um, I would, I'd say anything, manual gearbox, um, mid-90s to mid-noughties, E36, E46, E90, as you say, all of those um, M3 shapes. Uh, if you can find the budget to get a manual, or oh, they were only manual, but an E39 M5. Yes, again, yes. This is a car that, again, I stupidly had the opportunity oh. to buy only a few years ago. They were they were four or £5,000. You cannot find an E39 M5 now for less than 15. What's, what's the 200 mile an hour head-up display one? Was that the F? That's the E60. E60, is it right? okay. blisteringly brilliant V10 yeah, engine. Yeah, V10 engine. That's another um, one that I think is a, is a future. That is a car I frequently 
go back to on classified ads because for me, and if especially if you can get the touring, my God. Oh, well, that's that's like hen's teeth, isn't yeah. it? It's very rare. Very rare. Yeah. But yeah, E60 M5, again, I just don't think you can go wrong. I think if you go and buy any of those now, my opinion is that, that they are all cars that have to go up in value. There are certain things to be aware of. Things like the E60s, it is a motorsport-derived engine, and as a result of it, it is quite fragile, yeah. and it does require a lot of servicing, a lot of servicing. <laughs> the fuel economy is eye-wateringly terrible, and for some reason they put a fuel tank in a, a, approximately two pints of petrol. Yeah, you, can't, yeah, you, can't, you can get more than 30 miles out <laughs> yeah, of there. If you can get 200 miles out of an E60 um, yeah. V10 M5, then you're doing very well. So there are lots of things to consider. And again, it's it's about doing your own research, isn't it? And well, uh, yeah, or, or buying through someone like us where you don't have to worry about the storage and the maintenance yeah. or anything like that. I mean, you, yeah, you, driving experience is, is the bit you sacrifice, but you don't have the headaches, you know, as well. No, uh, that's right. You still get return That's exactly right. Uh, and then from a supercar perspective, um, we're looking at uh, manual R8, early manual R8 or, or early manual if you can find one, Gallardo or um, Diablo SV. Yeah. But very hard to find. Um, I mean, I think... Kuntashes and sort of um, testosterone and things we're, we're steering away from because the maintenance is, you know, for ones that aren't driven and are yeah. moved is, is, is catastrophic or it can be catastrophic. So we want things that are a bit more modern that, that you know, that, that sort of maintenance and storage aspect is a bit safer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm quite excited about the R8. I think a manual R8 is a really good buy now, sort of 45k, somewhere in that region for a low Mark 1. That's that's a, you know, very, the first ones, the Mark 1s, they're, they're, yeah. they're sort of really, yeah. really quite cool. And then from a Ferrari's perspective, um, I'd still love to try and do a, a challenge car, you know, either the 360 yes. Challenge Rodale. Um, somewhere in that would be would be amazing. A 550, 575 manual, if you can find a 575 manual, yeah. would be great. Yeah. Uh, it would be very hard to come by. Um but there's yeah even the five nine nine GTOs now are sort of dipping below hundred k as well That's and, true. and they could be very good buys. So there's 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 you know there's, the thing is this it's a great job to have because there's so many cars it to is. sort of choose from and, and to try and look for. But um, yeah, that's why I say the the heart kind of sometimes looks raw. But uh, trying to put the criteria behind it so the head brings it on. Um, but any any listeners anybody who wants to recommend anything or send any suggestions in you know or has cars that they want to you know that might want to sell then we're always interested to uh, to have a look definitely. Now, where can, because obviously people can get in contact with us. Um, a lot of you, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that we have an email address and we love hearing from you. So feel free to email us podcast at drivenchat.com. It's easy to remember, podcast at drivenchat.com. Um, feel free to send in your car suggestions to us because, of course, we, we, we'd love to see them. We'll happily pass them on. Um, but where can where can our listeners find you, David? Um, so, I mean, you can email uh, us. We are support at thecarcrowd.co.uk. So any car suggestions or anything like that, then let us know. Um, obviously, the website's just thecarcrowd.co.uk. Uh, nice and easy. And then we have Instagram. Uh, we're thecarcrowduk on Instagram and Facebook. So uh, check us out on social media. Posting a lot of videos or photos. Um, we're also going to be at the British Motor Show. Uh, plug for those guys at the British Motor Show. Grab your tickets for that. Um, that's on the 20th of August. Um, I think it's going to be a really good show down in Farnborough um, and we'll be at the NEC Classic Car Show as well at later on in the year in November. Fantastic. So go and get your get your camel skin jackets on and your That's cigars it. out and try and sell David a car. Yeah, absolutely. Come and find us. Come and find us. We'll chat cars for hours. I mean, we got into a ball bearing chat about um, about the ball bearing turbos like nice. last time we were at the Classic Car Show. So, yeah. Excellent. Always up for that. Amazing. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us. It's been fascinating. This has certainly been a new one for us in the in the um, sense of a, a new way of potentially our listeners being able to invest and without having to spend yeah. loads and loads and loads of money. Um, but of course, I think there, you know, it, it's worth saying, you know, do, do, do your research, um, capital at risk and all that sort of stuff. We Absolutely. Say, right. we? Yes, we do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, of course. So, uh, yeah. 
do check out the website. Do check out those social feeds. And um, if you've got something you want to shift to David, then uh, yeah, drop us a line because we'll uh, we'll do our best and I'll maybe get a drink out of it. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, find us fee, definitely. Yeah, no, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed well, it. Thank, thank you. you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you as well to the listener for joining us. And we will be back, surprise, surprise, next week with another guest, more stories and more fun. Same time next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat Podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven Podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.